to the Marathon Medic podcast. I'm your host, Amy Bolsh, a doctor and running coach with an interest in sports and exercise medicine. These podcast episodes are all about physical activity, exercise and health, and today I'm joined by Caroline Williams to discuss her book, Move. Caroline is a science journalist and writes regularly for The New Scientist, and on today's episode we're discussing the benefits of movement for the mind and body. We're discussing how dance can make us feel more connected, how walking can improve our creativity, and how our natural environment can make us stronger. Hi Caroline, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I've just finished reading your book, which I absolutely loved because I think it gives such a different perspective to how we think about movement. But for the purpose of our audience, would you mind just introducing yourself and a little bit about your background? Yeah, so um, I'm a science journalist. I've been doing that for uh, ooh, uh, over 20 years now. So my my background is that I did a, well, I mean, way, way background. I started off when I first went to university, I was uh, planning to be a PE teacher, um, not because I'm particularly or was particularly sporty in school, but because I couldn't bear the thought of a job in which I would have to sit around and not have fresh air and exercise. So so that was kind of my reasoning. And I did biology as a second subject um, so that I would have, you know, a bit of science in there. Um, anyway, after the after the year of that, I decided that, that the team sport aspect of PE wasn't really my bag. And so I swapped to a straight biology degree. Um, so that's, that's sort of my science background. And then it sort of, I was one of those weird people who really enjoyed getting stuck into the library and researching stuff and then writing about it. And then it became clear that there was a job where you could actually do that, which is science journalism. Um, So I sort of went down that path instead. And when I started off in journalism for a long time, I've been really fascinated in the way the human mind works and how we can get the best out of these like amazing bits of kit we have in our heads. But also on the other side of that, how we can get around the many glitches that seem to come as part of the system. So, you know, lack of focus, depression, stress, anxiety, um, creativity that turns up when it feels like it and not when it's convenient to us. And so I started looking into that from a neuroscience perspective. And it sort of dawned on me over the years that my own brain and mind work best when my body is on the move. And so I started getting interested in why that might be. And I thought, I wonder if there's any science that says something more than exercise equals endorphins equals happy. Um, So I started looking into it and there was actually loads of really, really fascinating research, everything from cell biology to neuroscience and everything in between that explored that and hadn't really been talked about much. So um, that's how I came to write Move because I became really fascinated in the science that explains why moving our body in certain ways affects the way we think and feel. So um, yeah, that's a long explanation of how I got to, to be writing this book. And did you always have a have a book in mind or were you almost overwhelmed by the amount of data and, and science that there is actually out there that, that kind of gives you enough material to write a book? Were you kind of pleasantly surprised by that? Yeah, I mean, I started off, you know, when... So the process of writing a book is really long and um, starts off with, oh, I wonder if there's anything out there. Um, uh, but as soon as I started looking, it became clear that there was more than an article's worth here because, you know, my, my day job is writing sort of four page feature articles on particular subjects, um, sort of science and health. And it just became clear that it was just a huge, huge subject and that it seemed to be something that you could break down quite easily into different kinds of movements and why they why they affect 
different aspects of mental and cognitive health. Um, so it, I sort of, I wasn't really overwhelmed. I was more excited, really. I was just kind of found all this stuff and thought, oh my goodness, there, there's there's more than a book's worth here. It's just it's huge, um, and I genuinely wanted to know the answers as well for my own life, which always helps because otherwise, delving into that amount of data and research and tedious scientific papers would just be too awful to contemplate. So <laughs> I really wanted to know and I was really fascinated. So so no, it was exciting. And you you open the book with, I guess, hard hitting facts about the way that, you know, our population has changed to, to move less and how that might be impacting us in terms of mental health and uh, cognition and, and lower IQ scores. Was that something that you were aware of or kind of had in the background or were you quite surprised by those findings? It was a it was a good reason to explore it now, I guess. I mean, when it comes to anything to do with science communication, there needs to be a reason why people care, um, and and that was that was a good reason why people should care because not only is this research showing now for the first time that these links are there and why they're there, but also at the same time, we've got this social trend where we're becoming increasingly sedentary, um, you know, and and the most vulnerable people in society are the most sedentary and you know children people with mental health issues and the elderly you know other people where you can get the most benefit and they're the most sedentary so it, it kind of tied in really that we've got this really important research and we've got a really good reason to to talk about it so um yeah they just gave me more more fuel to to shout really the book uh, talks about movement in all forms, which is which is really refreshing. It's, it, it's not exercise. We don't have to go out and run marathons or you know climb mountains. It's very much about movement. And the one thing that really jumped out of me was the concept of movnat. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Movnat. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the so the idea of gaining strength and skills in our natural environment. Would you mind sharing a little bit about about what that is and and whether you tried it yourself? Yes. So movnat is really fascinating. So it's Basically, the idea behind it, it comes it comes from a Frenchman called Erwin Lacour, and he harks back to, to some really very quite old French naval guy who, who was kind of inspired by people he saw on his travels around the world and how they were just naturally fit and strong and they didn't work out, but, you know, that they were just able to move through their environment really well. And it's sort of, I call it like a love child of, parkour and forest bathing. So it's the idea of getting fit and strong with your natural environment, moving as as a human animal would. So the idea behind it is that if you that you're strong to be useful. So if you can't run away from a threat, if you can't climb to save somebody, if you can't swim, then really you're not really using your body in the way that it was intended. And so so move night is really this movement to get strong the natural way. So climbing, carrying heavy loads, um, swimming, jumping, you know, all these things that, that are really fun balancing that that we do naturally as children. And then somehow we stop doing them and start sort of mindlessly pumping weights and, and sort of running for the sake of running. And yeah, so I, I, well, I was really fascinated by this idea because it's sort of it resonates with me because I'd never really been one for going to the gym for the sake of going to the gym. It seems mindless and boring. So I went and did a, a two-day workshop in in Hackney. So I live in the countryside and I went to Hackney um, in East London to learn how to move in the natural environment, which seemed a bit strange, but we're sort of partly in a gym and partly in, in a park. 
we tried all these natural skills. So swinging through trees, um, carry, how to carry boulders safely, um, crawling, which is actually a workout that I didn't realize existed, but it's incredibly effective workout for well, upper body strength and core strength and, and everything. And it was fascinating because it, you, you see, so Jerome Rattoni, who is the Move Night instructor, he is incredibly fit and strong, can jump up and lift his entire body weight without even looking like he's trying. And it's just a real demonstration that most of what we do in the gym is kind of pointless. You know, he would argue, well, what, why do you do a pull-up? Um, because I want to get on top of something. You know, otherwise, why would I bother? I pull up, I let go, I come down. What's the point? Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of really love that. They also have these things they call movement snacks. Sort of when you have a, a five minutes to spare, you just kind of crawl around for a bit or hang from your door frame or um, just do various moves just to get a little bit of movement into your day. And that kind of appeals because little and often is, is, is proving to be really important in getting more movement into your life. Yeah, I think we've become so programmed now that it, it's about doing that hour of exercise, you know, a few times a week. And actually, we're sitting down so much during the day, the exercise that we're doing in that hour isn't compensating for the amount of time that we're spent not moving and just being still. So trying to use our natural environment a bit more definitely is going to offer yeah, more absolutely. benefits to, to overall health. Yeah. And in terms of sort of, you know, long term studies that have looked at the thickness of particular brain areas, you know, over the course of decades, the biggest declines in areas linked to um, to memory and cognitive health, the decline was faster with people who were more sedentary overall, regardless of, of whether they did exercise during the day. So it's a sign that even if you're doing, not that I'm saying exercise is bad, of course it's not bad, but but it's not enough. So so if it's more about breaking up the sedentary time is more important for overall sort of long-term brain health than just doing intensive exercise and then going back to sitting for the rest of the day. So um, yeah, little and often is definitely important. I'm not sure if you saw this week, but uh, British Columbia doctors are now able to prescribe passes to national parks for their patients. No. Links in quite nicely, doesn't it? Hopefully there's a, there's a bit more recognition in the medical field that actually it's about getting people outdoors and active over long periods not necessarily prescribing them gym sessions or swimming which is appropriate for some people but I think recognizing that for others it's just about getting outdoors and, and walking even absolutely and there is as you know there is that is starting to happen so there's a, a movement in the UK green gyms uh, I don't know if you're aware of it so, so that can be prescribed so people with sort of um, depression and other mental health conditions in, and I went and joined in years ago with one of these sessions and it was just great. So we basically go out and do practical conservation. You're cutting down trees, you're litter picking, but in a group with other people. So you've got the physical activity, you've got the community, um, you've got the fresh air and and, and exercise together. Um, and these things have, have been shown to be really, really um, effective in, in helping people. So yeah, I think much more of that um, is needed because for a long, long time that we've been sort of paying lip service to getting active and you know the effects of physical activity on mental health um, and, and getting that into actual practice I think is a challenge but I think it's really important to do. 
I agree. Hopefully it's something that becomes uh, becomes possible here. I would I would love to be able to prescribe my patients just to go to national parks and nice areas outside. So we'll see. Absolutely. It'd be amazing. And I have seen, you know, there's people who have been recommended to go and do outdoor swimming, you know, so it's, it's starting to happen. Um, I think there's more awareness now um, that it actually does work rather than just being just a thing like, oh, yeah, that might help. Maybe try exercise, maybe try going out and for a walk. You know, having that a bit more structured, I think, is is really important. Another thing that you that you mentioned in your book, which I found really interesting, was just going back to our discussion about just walking it and getting out outdoors, the actual effect that can have in terms of um, you describe physically moving through space and the impact that that can have on the way we're thinking and the, the idea that we're actually moving forwards ourselves. Um, so I just wondering if you could just elaborate on that because you'll explain it much better than, than I just have. <laughs> well, I'll try. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, this, this re- really sort of resonated with me because, you know, whenever I get stuck on a piece of work or, you know, I'm upset or worried about something, going for a walk cures it every time, you know, it's a way of getting to, to think clearly again. And so there's some really interesting psychological research that sort of suggests why that may be. So when we think of our perception of time, I think most people think of the past being behind us, behind our backs, and the future is somewhere in front of our chests. Um, And this psychology research suggests that when people are physically moving forward through space, it gives us the illusion that we are moving further away from the past and we're moving into the future and moving forward, you know, is, is something that's hopeful and we're making progress. And so it seems to be that this sort of physical act of moving forward through space translates into a sort of figurative sense of mental and emotional progress as well that we're getting somewhere um in in more ways than one and and so that i think that's really important for things again for things like depression because people get stuck in in loops uh, you know you're just ruminating on things that have happened or are happening and somehow moving forward seems to sort of short circuit that a little bit if you can get the impetus to move in the first place um which is a challenge but yeah, just physically moving through, through space by whatever means, whether that's running, walking, kayaking, you know, paddleboarding, doesn't matter, um, seems to have this, this psychological effect. So it's a really simple way of just changing your mindset, just getting up and, and going somewhere. And from the from the, all the research you did, was there any suggestion about how you could maybe alter the way that you're walking to achieve certain things, so in terms of varying pace or where you walk. I know you mentioned about Darwin's walking path, and actually that was just a very small loop that he would do um, every day. So I was just wondering what your what your findings kind of suggested in terms of how we can maximise walking to benefit us, depending on what we need, I guess, on, on, a, on a given day. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it sounds a bit daft, doesn't it? Like, well, who needs to be told how to walk? We've been doing it for some, you know, some time. But um but yeah, different ways of walking seem to have different different effects. So there was one. So Darwin's path is really interesting. So I actually went to visit his path. You, you can go to Downhouse in Kent. And it, it's open to the public. You can kind of wander around this path. And so what he what Darwin did is when he moved out of London and he was trying to get his head around all this data that he picked up on his voyages. He was really struggling to see a way through that. And and his solution to that was to walk round. He built a quarter of a mile path where he would just walk round and round and round and just, you know, just meandering at a slow pace. And that somehow gave him the headspace to put together these these different parts of the story and, and, and put together the theory of evolution. And studies have have now shown that that, that kind of slow meandering at a pace that seems easy to you. Um, so for some people, like marathon runners, that might be a run. I don't know. It's not for me. But 
moving at a pace that's easy to you that turns down activity in the frontal parts of the brain, which are very useful because they keep our, our brains on track. They keep us in sort of thinking in straight lines and, you know, moving towards our goals. But when that activity is turned down temporarily, that allows the brain to, to think more broadly, to sort of make, make a sort of more soft focus approach. And that has been shown to bring together ideas that you might not normally have considered because your frontal lobes are saying, don't be silly and shut them down. And so meandering, um, doing something where you allow your mind to wander is a brilliant tool for creative thinking. And this has been shown in, in studies of walking. It's also been shown in studies that I took part in for actually a previous book that I wrote where I had uh, activity in my frontal lobes turned down temporarily by um, electrical stimulation, which sort of took my thinking sensible brain out of the equation for a bit and and the studies using that have shown that that increases creative thinking so it, it's just kind of a simple user-friendly way that doesn't involve being uh, hooked up to a battery and turning down activity in your brain that you can just do naturally just going for a meander it is really good for for brainstorming and, and thinking of things in new ways which is something we don't think of we think of oh i should sit at my desk and think hard if i want to come up with a new, new idea but no going for a, a meander that counts as work so that's that's one thing we can definitely take <laughs> from that research um the other way of, of using walking is a, a brisker pace. So this is some, some more really fascinating research that I came across. This guy called Dick Green, who has been testing out what happens when we put weight on our feet and walk. Um, and, you know, there's pressure on the soles of our feet. And it's almost like we have pressure pads on our feet. And when we put uh, pressure on our feet, it sort of sets up turbulence in the blood vessels. And this sort of adds up to a boost of blood to the brain by something like 15%. And, and he found this sweet spot at 120 steps per minute and 120 beats per minute of the heart, where the two seem to sync up to give the biggest boost of blood to the, to the brain. And this is kind of really early research. And his, his, his um, follow-up research on this got delayed with COVID. Um, so I'm really excited to see where he goes next with this. But there seems to be this sweet spot where the, our footfalls and our heartbeat syncs up and it provides this significant boost of blood to the brain. And he speculates that that might explain, you know, why you get an increase in focus and the boost in well-being. It's literally getting the blood flowing um, and that that could help us focus better um, and the brain just work work better. So a brisk walk, it's quite, a, I've tried it. It's quite a brisk pace. It's not like a, a little thinking meander while stroking your chin. It really <laughs> feels like a workout, but, but that's a way to kind of just increase focus, energy, and just, you know, if you're feeling a little bit lethargic because you've been sitting for too long, then a great, a, a quick brisk walk can, can really work wonders. And is there anything uh, that's come out of the the idea that kind of Darwin walked in this quite small loop and actually walking somewhere familiar, maybe where you're not thinking about where you're going, does that play into it at all? Yeah, I would think it probably would. I mean, the idea is that you want your mind to to wander. So you don't want to be thinking, oh, do I go left at this style? You know, you want to just let it all just go. So yes, walking somewhere familiar is probably part of it. He you knew he used to go round and round in circles because he'd lose track of how many times he'd done it, he'd keep a little pile of stones at the start 
of the loop and he would go round and then every time he completed a circuit he'd he'd knock a stone off so he could keep track of how many he'd done so he'd make a pile of four or five stones and knock them off as he went and one story i absolutely love is that um apparently his children uh would would sneak up when he was doing this and like add another stone to the pile and sort of run away just to confuse him which i think is really lovely um so yeah, yeah, yeah. Letting everything go. I mean, that's great for stress relief apart from anything else as well as creative thinking. That's, that's, that's really important. Yeah. I really, I really love the idea that we're talking about movement, not just for the benefits to our heart and our lungs, but actually, you know, it's got so many other benefits and walking something that we can all do just stepping outside the front door. And the fact that we can vary it depending maybe how we feel on a given day is, is really useful. And actually if, if we maybe paid a bit more attention to what we were doing, it, it might become quite a useful tool in, in our day-to-day life and, and work as well. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that really came out of it is sort of the, one of the things about movement is that it sort of forces you to tune into your own body a, a bit and and that can help you really work out what it is you need. And so, yeah, I, I definitely do that now. So I'll sometimes think, oh, what, you know, this is not going so well. What should I do? And sometimes the answer is to go and put some loud music on downstairs and jump around and you know whilst doing the washing up or something (laughs) other times it's to to you know down tools and go for a walk by myself um other times it's like I need to do some yoga and do some breathing to calm myself down because I'm 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 so hyper um and so yes learning to to tune into what your body and mind need and then using your body as a tool to achieve that um i think is, is a really important thing that we we forget to do we're so up in our heads all the time um that we forget that we've got a body attached and that we can use that as sort of a hotline to to the mind to get what we want um and to make life a little bit easier yeah absolutely and i'm, I'm going to pick up on the fact there that you said dancing around your your kitchen to, to, to loud music um you you have kind of a whole chapter on dancing and I found that really interesting in terms of the the synchronization that you mentioned where we're with other people and we almost start to synchronize with them and it can help with connecting with other people working together as a team so I was just wondering if you'd like to share um the the findings you had on that topic yeah dance is fascinating and I could have written a whole book just on that I just got completely carried away um and and it's really fascinating because it's something that humans do it's something that's really central to who we are as creatures and and other animals don't do it. And, you know, that's a really interesting question. Why? And one of the ideas is that it's kind of a social glue that bonds us to other people. So if you think of it in an evolutionary context, humans are quite puny creatures, really. You know, we don't have great speed. We don't have great strength. If we're going to hunt and gather, we need to work together and we need to have those tight social bonds. And and so one idea is that, that synchronized movement and dancing is one of the ways that we kind of held that together and it still works just as well today. And there's some really interesting sort of neuroscience ideas behind it, which is that when we are moving our bodies, we have this sense of proprioception, which tells us without you know, thinking about it, where our body is in space. And so when we're moving, we know where our body is in space and that helps us build the sense of this is me, this is where I begin and end. And the idea is that when you're dancing or moving in synchrony with other people, their movements are also coming in through your senses. You can see where they're moving. You can feel where you're moving. And the fact that those two things synchronize sort of confuses the brain a little bit to the point where this barrier between what's me and what's you starts to get a bit blurry. And so to the point where we start to feel connected to each other. We feel like we are one in some way. And I think anyone who's ever, you know, been out dancing can can kind of 
feel, you know, intuitively that that's how it, it feels. And so the idea is that when we're moving with other people, it can make us feel like we're bigger, you know, a part of something bigger than ourselves. And it's been shown in experiments that if even little toddlers, if you bounce them on your knee in time to music and then, you know, you, you put them down and then you accidentally drop something, the little toddler is far more likely to pick that up and give it back to you if you've been bouncing them in synchrony than if you've been bouncing them out of time with the music. So it seems to make us care more about each other. And, you know, experiments with adults um, all the way through life have shown that when people move in synchrony together, afterwards they're far more likely to cooperate um, and care about each other more. So it's just something that's really fundamental to us. And And I think in a time when we've got this, you know, epidemic of loneliness, it's something that we could, you know, and also the polarized society where we're all fighting at each other, just moving together is a way that we can just, you know, get over our differences and, and feel some part of something bigger than ourselves. So um, it's something, and it's something that very few people do, something like 5% of adults dance for fun. Once we've stopped going out clubbing, you know, it's like everyone forgets. Um, and and the, the other thing that's that's great about it is that when you're moving to music. So one neuroscientist I spoke to wasn't really a, a big dancer himself, but he he says that when you're moving to music, what you're doing is you're moving to the rhythm of movements that have been made by other human bodies. And so when you are moving to that music, he said it's it's like an invitation to join in with the band. So you still feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself, even if you're just dancing by yourself to, to music. So um, it's something that, that anyone can do really, really easily. Um, even if you, you know, you can't get up and jump around, you can sit in a chair and do a bit of chair dancing. So, so it's something that's really accessible and can, can really make you feel way, way better. Yeah, definitely. My, my grandma actually goes to mature movers. So it just shows that, you know, she's in her late eighties and it's still something that's accessible to her age group. If we can modify the dancing um, that they're doing, it just, as you said, it provides so many benefits from that connectivity point of view, but also from the movement. And I think also in that older population as well, a lot of the guidelines around their physical activity is balance and mm. um, coordination because obviously we're, we're worried about that age group falling over. So I think, you know, incorporating dance into that is just such a great way to get heart rates up, but also provide all these these other benefits that you've touched on. I spoke to one guy um, who's in the, the strength chapter, Ch- Terry Kvasnik, who's this sort of stunt man, who's he's an incredible acrobat, stage performer. He's also now he teaches children, but also he's been known to do break dancing sessions with with elderly people. And so he was kind of spinning around and doing things, and they were just trying to copy along with what they were doing, however they could do it. And and it was absolutely brilliant. He said they absolutely loved it, and everyone got something out of it. So so there are no limits really to what you can get people to do and and it can still make them feel great and feel connected and get all the physical benefits of movement as well yeah and it's just it's just another one of those movements that feels a bit less prescribed than going to the gym and I, I feel like we're slating gyms and obviously they've, they've got their, their purpose but just in terms of making things accessible um for for everyone no matter kind of their physical abilities I think dance is a is a great a great exactly. thing for, for all age groups yeah and for older age groups as well who maybe you know haven't really you know grown up with gym culture but may have grown up with with dance as something that was part of their lives and then that can just bring so many mental health benefits as well um just from getting back into something that they did in in younger years um and and felt good so yeah absolutely dance can work wonders and just from a from a personal perspective having written this 
book. Is there anything that particularly resonated with you? Any changes that you've made in your life since finding out all of this information? I'm, I'm assuming you're relatively active before given your background interest in biology and, and movement, but just wondering if you made any big life changes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I've always been pretty active. I'm very fidgety. I can't stay still, even even if I wanted to. Um, well, apart from apart from at the moment, as I'm isolating with COVID. But apart <laughs> from that, that's I'm finding this very very challenging. Um, so I mean, the the main changes I've made is to is to break up break up sitting. So I was very aware during the writing process that I spent several hours a day sitting at my desk tapping away saying how important it was to not sit at your desk <laughs> and tap away. Um, and so breaking that up. So what I started to do is, and this is a lot easier if you work at home, clearly, um, I started to, you know, sit on the floor for a bit. I, I've got quite a, a good deep squat now. So, you know, like the, the sort of sitting on your haunches thing. Sometimes I put my so my laptop on my chair and squat. I can't do it for very long, but just to, to mix things up. Sitting on the floor is, is something that I do a lot because when you, you you have to get up at some point, and that's in you know that can strengthen the legs. So just mixing up the places that I work, and also taking regular breaks. Uh, I mean, working at home. Uh, I know a lot of people can can relate to this now because we've all been working at home, or a lot of people have. It feels like you're constantly clearing up or making food. And so whilst doing that, crank the radio up, you know, have a bit of a dance around. Yeah, I've just been trying to to break things up and also not feeling bad. I'm, I'm self-employed and have been for forever seemingly. But even I found it difficult to shake the idea that I was skiving if I took a break to go out and go for a walk um, or a bike ride or something like that. But just kind of changing that mindset that this is work too and it's important and I will do better work and be happier if I do this stuff um, has been an important shift. So I don't feel quite so guilty. I don't beat myself up quite as much um, anymore. But but largely, it, it's sort of knowing the why gives me the motivation to, to make sure that I, I put it front and center of my life rather than just thinking, oh, well, um, I'll do that when I've finished work. I definitely found when I was reading your book, I had to keep keep stopping and doing some stretches or just walking around the house a little bit. It really does drive home when you're sat there quite still and you're you're reading something that's really promoting the fact and, and giving the reasons why you should move. It makes you really want to get up and uh, and change your position. So I did. I really enjoyed the information about just modifying some of our behaviours, even kind of just engaging our core and having good posture when we sit, for example, just to try and use some different muscles and, and not be slouched down. Because like, again, that's beneficial for our muscles, but also the, the way we're, we're feeling as well. So I think just trying to make those small changes, because obviously we can't be moving all the time if, if we're trying to be productive. But I just, uh, as you said, just breaking up the day and making those small changes can be really, really helpful. Yeah. And there's some uh, some interesting research um, with some mod- modern hunter-gatherers in, in Africa. This guy called Herman Ponce does really interesting research about their physical and mental health and and he's found that they they rest quite a lot you know they they don't sit in long periods like we do but they do spend a lot of time sitting but then they're sitting and they're sitting so there's there's squatting there's sitting with your knees bent there's crossing your legs um they're sitting on the floor there's there's leaning against stuff or not leaning against stuff so just mixing it up a, a bit you know, there's this, this sort of buzz phrase that sitting is the new smoking. Well, there's sitting and there's sitting. You know, there's uh, sitting actively, um, sitting for short periods and getting up and stretching. Um, you know, even mixing it up and lying down on your belly to 
read something. You know, that there's ways of being sedentary that aren't flopping and just less giving into gravity entirely. So, um, yeah, because the fact of the matter is that there is quite a lot of sitting around involved in in being a modern human that needs to earn a living. So unless you happen to have a job where moving is is part of it, then then you sort of have to build it in. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you end your book with a movement manifesto, which I suppose summarises um, some of the key revelations that that you reveal throughout the book. And I was just wondering if you could share, I, I suppose, your your main advice in terms of what you would recommend society needs to needs to do in order to improve their their movement habits for both their mental and physical health. Yeah, I think the most important thing that needs to change is to get movement um, at the heart of children's lives from early on and then keep it through. And because at the moment, it's very possible to go through school and find that, you know, and conclude that, that movement's not for you because your only exposure to it, to it has been PE lessons, which has been structured around particular sports. Um, and so there are some interesting and really great innovations. So there's the Daily Mile, which was started by um, a head teacher in Scotland who noted, I mean, she, she started it off because of um, physical health and she noted that children weren't physically fit and she mandated that in school at some point during the day the teachers would just say okay everyone pencils down and they would go out and run around for for 15 minutes and then come back in and carry on they didn't change their shoes they didn't call it sport running or anything they just did it Um, and since then there's been a few studies of this and the children's focus has improved, their grades have improved, their mental health has improved, um, as well as their physical health. And it's been taken on by by loads of schools. So it's this sort of thing, just kind of building it in, not calling it sport or PE or anything, but just, and then hopefully the children will make these connections themselves that, oh, I feel really lethargic. I know, I'll go and run around outside or I'll go and do something active. Because at the moment, I think it's very easy to to think it's not for you. And if you're not a gym, you know, you're not a sporty person, you're not going to be a gym bunny later in life. Um, and I think that's really missing a trick for, especially when we have so many mental health issues in young people, um, that, they're, that they're missing out on this, this avenue for their mental and cognitive health. So, so yes, young people is, is something I'm really, really passionate about. Um, mental health, we've already you know, touched on it a little bit. It's undeniable that increasing people's physical strength reduces anxiety, depression. It helps people feel more confident. It improves self-esteem. It makes life feel more manageable. And yet that's something that's really neglected. So so increase just getting people to do doesn't have to be weights. It can be body weight exercise. Just getting people moving and increasing their strength seems to tip over into a feeling that life is more manageable and that people are more in control of their own destiny. So I think that's really, really important for people with mental health issues, people growing up in, in you know, poverty and challenging social situations, that increasing strength and physical abilities is really important. So we've got young people, people with mental health um, challenges, um, and then and the elderly. Um, we, we've already talked a little bit about that as well. You know, there's there's good reasons why elderly people are, are sedentary a lot of the time, but it doesn't have to be just sitting and doing nothing. It's kind of getting getting movement into people's lives and, and giving something back to this population rather than just sort of letting them sit and be sad. I mean, it's it's awful. We need to to do something about that. And there are there are, in, in all of these areas, there's great stuff that's already happening. But I kind of really feel strongly that we need to 
really make movement a priority for for these groups and and for everybody else. And in terms of just adults in general, just this knowledge that it's there and can make a real difference to your life and, and how you feel and put something in the back for old age it is really important message to, to get out there. And so middle age is, is the time when it only gets harder from here on in. And it's most important to nail it now, um, to have a healthier aging process and a happier old age. Yeah. And I think just driving home the message that every minute counts and every movement counts. So, you know, we're not asking people to wake up one day and suddenly change everything they do in terms of their physical activity, but just making these small changes that we've touched on just throughout the day and breaking up that um that sedentary behavior is going to be the thing that's most achievable uh, and probably will will give the, the greatest gains later down the line if we can try and get these habits in early. Absolutely. And and so it's not an, an all or nothing. I'm not saying everyone needs to get a sport. Everyone needs to start running. Everyone needs, you know, it, it's, it's little and often. And the, the less you're doing the bigger the gains from doing a little bit. So just getting started on something and, and crucially as well, finding something that you enjoy, you know, f- for some people that's running, it's not my bag, you know, for some people it's cycling up hills. I quite like going down the hills, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's finding something that, that doesn't feel like work that makes you feel good and then you'll want to do it. And then the benefits will just come by themselves. And, you know, it, it's been quite, striking to me people who have these sort of movement practices for want of a better word have sort of read the book and then come and said ah that's why that's why it makes me feel this way and oh that's amazing and so it's kind of finding that thing that makes you want to do it and then the the benefits and the and and it's kind of almost a no-brainer once you once you've got that habit going and I, and I think it's catching as well, isn't it? Because um, at my workplace, I have tutorials every now and again, and, and we do a lot of walking tutorials. And I've started noticing that other people are kind of doing walking meetings at lunch as well. And I think just getting that to be the, the normal practice is so helpful because it just makes it more acceptable to do and to, to pop outside at lunchtime and just go for a 10 minute walk. And it really does makes your afternoon so much better. You feel so much more alert. You've got those few extra steps in. And I think I think it's really quite catching. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the more of that, the better. And if, if it can be brought in, because it's all very well, you know, people read the book and go, yeah, I'd love to do walking meetings, but how am I going to get the the powers that mm-hmm. be to see that uh, as work? Um, so yeah, I am doing a little bit of, of work with sort of, you know, managers and things like that to say, come on, comes, it has to come from you and then people will do it. And then you'll actually get a happier workforce. You know, everyone will, there's something as well about being, I don't have any research to back this up, but there's something about being outside and walking that you kind of feel more open, that you can talk. You're not face to face. It's not quite so intense. And it feels like you can, you know, you can bat things around a, a lot more easily. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping that walking meetings become m- even more of a thing. Um, and, and you do see that throughout the pandemic. You know, there's been more people working at home. And when I'm taking the dog out, I often see people there with their ear pods in, talking away and having business meetings on the move. So I, I kind of feel like maybe the pandemic's been quite a good thing for, for people putting two and two together um, themselves and, and working out that actually it doesn't matter. And nobody cares whether you're out walking when you're on a meeting. It can all still be done. Thank, thank you so much. It's been a really interesting talk for me. And I, as I said, I really enjoyed reading your book. So for anyone that wants to um, learn a bit more about this topic, get their hands on a copy, would you just mind letting them know where they can find you on social media or also where they can get your book as well? 
Okay, well, the, um, the book is called Move, uh, The New Science of Body Over Mind. Um, it's available anywhere books are sold. Um, uh, if, you <laughs> <want to go> to, <laughs> if you wanted to go to my website, um, it's carolinewilliams.net. And on Instagram, I'm carolinewilliams underscore science. And on Twitter, at sciencecaroline. So, um, yes, come and say hello. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been lovely talking to you. As Caroline said, you can find her book by searching for Move, The New Science of Body Over Mind. You can also visit her website by searching carolinewilliams.net. If you'd like to hear more from me, then you can head to marathonmedic.com where you'll find running content as well as more podcast episodes. And you can also find me on Instagram by searching Marathon Medic. Thanks so much for listening. 